Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Bill Goodrich, and I pastor a church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I just want you to know, I was talking to my son over there, and storms are even coming worse this way, is what I've been told. So uh, be encouraged by that. It's great to see everybody, everybody out here, you know. It's great to worship the Lord. I just wish this young man right here, I wish I could shake a little bit more like he does, you know. But something in my DNA, there's something missing in my DNA. I just don't know what it is, but anyway. What a wonderful time. You guys are really blessed in this church. You truly are. Let's begin by a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we want to thank you today for your word. We thank you how it speaks to us. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we just pray that you would take the word to our hearts, take it deep and cause change in our life in ways only you can. And we just love you and thank you so much, Lord. Guide us through these scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you have your Bible, open to 1 Kings 21. That's where we're going to be. Uh, I want to introduce to you my lovely wife, Violet. She's right here. We've been married there for, uh, we've been married for close to 41 years. So that's a lot of years, but uh, I am very blessed and, and thankful for the, everything God has done that way. You know, when Chad gave me, he invited me to come over here. I just met him a while back. I was over here for a funeral and we got together and, and, all, and uh, he invited me to come and, and teach and everything. So I said, yeah, Chad, that would be a privilege. And then he gave me the message, uh, the title, uh, the subject is Elijah, Elijah the Confronter. And I thought, thanks, Chad. You know, I could bring a great message about Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that would, that would be great. You know, everybody would think I'd be wonderful. Confrontation? I've got to deal with confrontation? Well, I pray that you won't throw tomatoes or apples or anything worse than that. But I want to go through this subject, and it's really a, a beautiful subject when you take time to do it. It's very hard, but it is very, very necessary in our lives. In First Kings chapter 21, we see that King, Rahab, king Ahab excuse me, was a very violent king, and he was covetous. He wanted a piece of ground, a property, a vineyard that uh, someone else, Naboth, owned. And so he went down to Naboth and he said, hey, I'll give you this, I'll give you that, I'll give you this estate out in the, in the country. Whatever you want, I want this uh, because it, it's right next to my land. And Naboth said no. He said, um, that belongs to my family. It's been passed down through the generations and all of that. And so then King Ahab goes home and his uh, wife, Jezebel, who was a wicked woman, too, um, says, listen, if you want that, because he starts pouting, according to the scriptures, when you go there and you just see, you know, and he's all disturbed by this and he won't eat. He can't sleep and all that. And she she sees that and she says, I'll take care of this. And so she gets some uh, lies about him uh, spread, and he, then he is put to death. And then uh, King Ahab is going to take uh, possession of the property. As he's heading down to that property, at the very moment it appears the Scripture, God speaks to Elijah, his prophet, and says, I want you to go and confront Ahab. Now, you have to remember that Ahab was a king, and a wicked king, no doubt he had murdered many people to get to the place that he was. And uh, Elijah's life was uh, in jeopardy at this, at this very moment. And so, you know, when you have those type of things, when we go to confront people or when we are confronted, it's a very, very trying time. It's very emotional in many ways. But as we know, according to the story, Elijah went down, he confronted 
Ahab, and we'll go through this story and we'll see uh, three things that you'll see on the screen here. We'll see as we go through this, the features of confrontation. We will see the fruit of confrontation and the functions of confrontation. Confrontation. Now, I'm going to leave it to you to go back to this chapter if you'd like today and read through uh, this chapter 21 of Kings here and, and just study it a little bit more. So we're going to j- just kind of give a, uh, an overview of these things here. Now, there's a definition. When I looked at confrontation, I thought, well, let's go and find a definition. Well, this is the definition that I found more often than not. And this is it. A meeting of persons face to face. A meeting of persons Face to face. In confrontation, it's very, very important. Our first principle really is that we do it in person. Twitter is a lousy way to confront a person, okay? Email's even worse, you know? You can't get the tone. You can't get any of those things. So face to face, excuse me, is the way that we should do it. After we finished the message last night, a lady took me aside and she said, you know, I was at this conference about confrontation. And she said that they changed con to care, carefrontation. And I thought that really captures it. If we really care about another person, we will be willing to confront. And so we see that definition, but it should be done face to face. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Bonhoeffer said this concerning confrontation. Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. See, God can call us as we're going through this message in your hearts that you may be in the midst of a situation. And you know that God has put you in that situation and you are a Christian. And you are the one that may be anointed by God and called by God to sit down in a loving way, in a caring way, to share the truth that is necessary, that this person may be brought out of their sin. There's another uh, quote here by Richard Rohr. I love it, but I hate it at the same time. Look at this quote. He says, before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you, what's it say? Miserable. Is that not true? Before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable. I found that to be true. My wife and I accepted the Lord on June 2nd, 1975. A man named Mike McIntosh at Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego was preaching a message on Monday night out of the book of Revelation. And as he preached it and came to an end, and then he had an altar call. And the Holy Spirit came upon my wife and I at that point. I looked over to Vi and I said, honey, it's time, isn't it? And I got out of our seat, and from when I got out of my, that seat there, I started weeping like a baby. I was broken. In reality, I was miserable because the Holy Spirit was real, re- revealing my sinfulness and who I am, a dirtbag in a sense. But I got up there, and then he led us in a prayer to receive Jesus into our hearts. And then all of a sudden, I'm flooded with joy and peace. And so very miserable, but it was worth being miserable, at least in my life and our lives at that point, to come to that peace and that freedom that he has for uh, each and every one that give our hearts to Jesus Christ. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If we love a person, we'll risk wounding a person. If we truly care for someone, we will go and and share in a loving way, in a gentle way, in an appropriate way. And so Elijah is an example to us of the reality that we can be called by God 
to confrontation. If we are, we must do it correctly. One time I experienced confrontation that wasn't so correct. And I volunteer as a police chaplain in Indianapolis. I've done that for a number of years. And when I first was a, a chaplain there, I got on, I got my pager went off and I got in my car and went to this, what they call DOA, um, dead on arrival situation. And so I got lost on the way and I'm a brand new chaplain and I could hear all of a sudden this police officer comes on the police radio and he says, where's that chaplain? And I thought, that is unusual. I know that's not right. Something is going on at this scene. Either he's really upset at me or something's going on. So I arrive at the scene. I have my window down and I look and there's that officer there on the porch with this woman. I would say she's about in her late 60s, real short in stature and all that. And I, and, and, uh, would I hear him say, that's the chaplain I'm leaving. Well, that was against regulations. Police officer has to stay there until uh, certain things happen. And he took off and I thought... Something's up in the midst of this. So I walk over and as I'm walking over, this lady looks at me and she says, are you Church of Christ? I mean, she says it that way. Are you Church of Christ? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. Are you Baptist? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. And then she goes, well, what are you? Just like that. And I thought, oh, it's going to get worse from here. But, you know, she said, and I said, well, I don't know. I'm just non-denominational. I believe in the Bible. You know, I love Jesus. You know, I'm going off. I don't know, you know, and all this. And she says, and she looks at me and she says, that'll do. Get in here. I'm not kidding you. And so I go into the house, you know, and I can look in there and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm here for a DOA and there's sadness going on and all that. You know, you lose. It was her mother who was 92 years old. I could look through the living room and see her mother there in bed. And she she was gone. She was definitely gone. And she looks at me and, and, and she says, do you believe in prayer? And I said, yeah, I believe in prayer. She says, well, I have a sore knee and I want you to anoint me with oil and pray over me. And I thought. No, ma'am, didn't somebody die here? And this is literally what she said. She said, yeah, my mom died, but she's dead. You can't help her, but you can help me. (laughs) And I thought, oh, okay, it got better. So I I just prayed for her and, and all that, you know, and then she looks at me at that and she says, listen, my husband is out in the garage and he needs to be saved. Go save him. So I went out there and talked to him and everything and and found out that he had faith in Jesus. He just hadn't been water baptized. And to him, that was very, very important. So I got to baptize him. You know, whenever anybody's concerned about that, just baptize him. Keep him down for about 10 minutes and then, you know, they'll be okay after that. So anyway, and so confrontation comes in many ways. It comes against our life and and we are to be there. So what I want to do now, just real briefly and. And if you ever, if you want the detailed notes, just get a hold of me and I'll send them to you. But first of all, the features of confrontation. Without going through all the scriptures here, in here I found uh, nine features of confrontation, how we approach confrontation. The first one is God's words are our orders. Very simple. You guys are Christians. You love the word. You love God and all that. You would go, yeah, Bill, I know that. But it's true. It says in Scripture, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. God's word must guide us uh, into and through the process of confrontation. Don't go into confrontation without bathing yourself in the word of God. The second feature we see is go as ordered by God alone. Sometimes we have pressure from our flesh. Sometimes we have pressure from outside. We can only go into confrontation as 
as we're ordered by God. See, it says in Scripture, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, who lives in Samaria. And so we must not only be willing to go, but we must go where we are ordered to go by the Lord. Don't step out unless you know that it's the Lord. The third thing, God orders he gives when he gives his orders, he gives his details. Scripture says there he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to uh, take possession of it. So, again, not only will God show us to go where to go, but also he will give us the, the details that are needed to handle the situation. I've been in many situations as a under shepherd to Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is, but often called the confront. And sometimes it's people that you love, people that have been in the church for the longest. Sometimes it's leadership. Sometimes it's family in that sense. And how you do it is so very, very important. It says a soft answer turns away wrath and a gentle tongue breaks the bone. And so we have to be prepared in Scripture. We have to have God's marching orders and we need to have the details. So we have to take time. Don't just run right into it. The fourth feature that we see, only be the Lord's mouthpiece. Notice in Scripture it says, you shall speak to him, saying, thus says the Lord. It's two times in that Scripture, in that verse there you see that. God will give us the words as we trust in him. God gives us his still, small voice. Remember Elijah was wanting to uh, see God in a very special way? His voice wasn't in the fire. His voice wasn't in the earthquake. His voice wasn't in the wind. But his voice was in the still, small voice. To hear that, we must be like a man of uh, as David was. We come and we worship the Lord and we sit before the Lord and we listen to his voice. Number five, expect and prepare for resistance. Does that surprise anybody? You know, I have been confronted in times, I'll just lash right out. You know, my flesh, how dare you say that? Okay? And uh, uh, I don't know, has anybody else ever done that? I'm the only sinner here. You guys aren't very truthful. No, no, I'm only kidding. Uh, you know, we tend to resist. We tend to. And believe me, we should expect there's going to be resistance uh, when we go by the Lord, it says uh, in Scripture there, so Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O oh, my enemy? You know, resisting what Elijah would do at that point. The sixth thing we see there is sin needs to be exposed. That's very important. Because you have sold yourself to do evil. See, when we confront, we must expose the sin. Here's another thing that I found is very important. Keep your confrontation narrow. Keep it very narrow on the subject. Many times people will come to me as a, a pastor and they'll say, Bill, I, I have this issue with you. <laughs> you know, oh, here comes another one. Okay, I have this issue with you. And they'll go, and it's not only me. You know, what have they done at that point? They've taken it from you and I face to face to who else is out there and they've expanded the situation. That is really when it gets tough in that way. And so what we should do when we're called to confront is we keep it narrow. Sin needs to be exposed, uh, but we have to keep it narrow in that way. And then the seventh one we see is judgment on sin will come. That's part of the reason why we uh, confront people. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. Consequence of sin is revealed. Why we go and confront a person is that so they won't receive judgment from God. 
It's an amazing thing we're going to see in a minute here. This evil king, when he's confronted by uh, Elijah, makes a decision to listen. And God does a thing that I think, God, I would have just killed that guy if I was God. But God has grace and he has his mercy in the midst, even for this king here. But we have to warn him because judgment will come on our sin. And we need to be careful in that way. Eighth one we see is sin spreads. Very important. Notice it says in Scripture there in verse 22, and made Israel to sin. See, a person's sin can have greater consequences than just their immediate life. And so that's why we must go again as quick as we can, as we're ordered by the Lord. We have a Scripture. We have our marching orders. We have how He wants to do it. And then we sit down with a heart we're going to see in a moment to restore a person. And then we sit there because we realize that there is judgment. But yet, if we don't confront a person with sin at times, it's going to spread. It's going to affect their children. It's going to affect their grandchildren. It's going to affect uh, their neighbors and different things, people within the church. So often these divisions that come within a church, I have found that if people would have just really been obedient at that point, I know it's hard, been obedient at that point, then the matter would have stayed narrow and it wouldn't have got broad in that way. So I encourage you, yes, it's a hard thing to do. And then lastly, look at this other, uh, the last feature that we see, look for the root cause of sin. Notice in verse 25, it says, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now, this isn't for all women, by the way, men, okay? We need to be careful there. But this woman was a wicked woman, and she was used to stir up her husband in a way that was not good. And so we have to be careful of the influences that are in our lives. But then when we go look for the root cause, if you find the root cause, many times what I've seen, we lived in California, San Diego, for some 20 some years, we had all kinds of fires there. And the way they the way fight fire uh, fires out there is they try to find the hot spot. They control the perimeter, but they find it, the hot spot and put it out. It's the same way with confrontation. There can be all these things going on around you. But what is really going on? What is the hot spot? If you can find that, God can bless you in a very special way. Watch who you align yourself with. Blessed, says in Scripture in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So be very careful where we go, where we stop, where we sit down in the midst. There And so now there's a fruit of confrontation there. In verses 27 through 29, the fruit of the conf- uh, confrontation is basically two things. Number one, Ahab repented. It's wonderful when we repent when we're confronted, also when other people confront, when they're confronted and they repent of their sins. When we repent of our sins, then there can be the second principle we see here, restoration. So repentance will lead to restoration. Very, very important. It says in Scripture, and you won't see this on the screen, but Psalm 30, verse 5 says this, For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Uh, His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes, what? In the morning. And so God will come in our lives and He'll confront us. But it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to um, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's a process there. And that's very important. Repentance leads to cleansing, restoration in a person's life. And there's nothing more exciting than that. It's hard. Again, truth 
make us, makes us miserable, but it sets us free. It's very important to do that. Now, there's a process. We've looked at the features of confrontation. We looked at the fruit of confrontation. But I want to look at the functions of confrontation. Very, very important for us as we begin to wrap up the message here. If you have a Bible, well, you don't need to because it's on the screen there. Matthew chapter 7. Look at this, please. Very important. If you're called to confront and you go through these first uh, these principles that I mentioned, the nine principles, and your, your uh, purpose is to see restoration and repentance, you have to be careful how you do it. It's very important. So how do you do it? And this is where I want to uh, wrap up the message today for you to consider. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, where God, uh, Jesus said, Judge not that you, do, you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in the brother's in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let him remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's what we must do first. It's a warning. Don't judge a person. So often what we do is we look at a situation and we perceive it in a certain way. And as we're perceiving that, we enter into judgment because we make a decision upon the situation by what we perceive is in the heart of that person. God is the only one that knows what's in the heart of people. And so we have to be very careful. If he reveals that to us, great. If the person reveals that to us, great. One of the greatest ways to approach confrontation is, I feel this way. Instead of going and saying, this is the way that it is. I always try to approach and say, you know, I, I feel, I don't know what the fact is, help me with this, but I feel this way about this situation. And that protects me from entering into judgment. And so we're not to judge. But look at the second part of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. It says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them. By their fruits, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And look at verse 20. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. How will we know How will we not judge a person? We stand back and we discern by what we see that goes on. But we have to be very, very careful. We can be fruit inspectors. There's a difference between judgment and discernment. Judgment makes a decision upon another person according to their heart and that we don't know necessarily what it is. But discernment is value, uh, evaluates all the circumstances, all the things that are going on. It takes time to do that, doesn't it? We can't rush into this situation. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, the next step is given to us in Scripture that I tried to follow. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, notice what it says there. It says, brethren, if, notice that, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, 
If you've gone through the process that we talked about when we looked at the features of confrontation, we're going truly for the fruit of confrontation. And here we're looking at the functions of confrontation. We've gone, prepared our heart that we're not judging. We believe there's some true discernment there. Then we go to verse verse one of chapter six, and it says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, what that means, spiritually discerning, truly have spiritual discernment. Notice that next word. What's the next word? Restore. That has to be our heart, not to destroy a person, but to go with an attitude. I want to restore this person back to the, uh, the people that maybe there's difficulties with back to the Lord ultimately. So there won't be judgment and that sprint, uh, sin won't spread in that way. Again, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. And how do you do that? In spirit of gentleness. No, don't beat people up. Often we as Christians, we kill our wounded. We can do that, and we shouldn't do that. We must there stand true for truth, stand strong, excuse me, for truth and all that, but we must go in gentleness. Very important. And look at the last part of this verse. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. I have gone into situations, and I can share this, I don't know about you, and I've done it totally wrong. And because I've done it totally wrong, I make a mess of the situation. And then it reveals my heart and the sin that was in my heart. And I have to be very, very careful in that way. So after we go through all of this, the next thing that I do, and I I pray that it would be an encouragement to you guys, is I go to Matthew chapter 18 and make sure that I follow through with these three principles that are found in three verses. In verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18, it says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go... And tell him his fault between you, what's it say, and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. I find this is where we fail the most. We go outside of the immediate situation. We may go to our best friend and say, guess what this person has done? Well, we've just spread the situation at that point. We can even go to our prayer partner. And we need prayer in this. But we have to be very careful who we go to. They're able to handle that because we begin to spread the situation. Go one on one. What I have learned, uh, trained myself to do again as an under shepherd to Jesus Christ, when a person comes inappropriately to me first, because you want to go to the pastor and they, they share a situation, I ask them and they've learned that this is what I'll do. I say, have you gone to that person one on one? Well, no, I haven't, you know. And so at that point, you know, you, you know, you have to instruct them gently. But may we be warned. That's how we confront. That's how we take care of the situation. Because it keeps it very, very narrow. And you may have to do this a number of times over and over and over until you can move to verse 16. Now look at verse 16. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. That the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, even in verse 16, they haven't really got to the church yet. You don't have to go to the pastor necessarily. But you go to people around you that you value and they're going to hold you accountable. They're going to hold the other person accountable. But before you do that, get permission to do that. 
A lot of times we want to rush in and, and all of a sudden there's this confrontation and a person looks around and all of a sudden there's three or four people in the room and they're all after them, you know, and that makes them feel really bad. Anybody ever experienced that? Okay. You guys are so pure. It's unbelievable. It really is. But anyway, you know, you get in and all of a sudden the situation has just gone so far beyond where it needs to be. But if indeed you've confronted properly and you do it the right way, then you can go with another person and inform them that that's what you want to do. And tell that person that you confronted one on one. I want to make myself accountable. I believe this is true. Would you be willing to get together? You choose one person. I'll choose another person. It'll hold us accountable in that way. And then you come together and discuss the situation. You may have to do that a number of times. Then if that doesn't work, look at verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them. Tell it to the church, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That's a hard place to get to. And I've had to do that a number of times in our, in our life in ministry where you actually you have to mark a person and they're not willing to turn from their sin. That's a very hard thing. So we have the features of confrontation. We have the fruit of confrontation. And here we see the functions of confrontation. Uh, Peggy Hamey says this concerning confrontation. Avoiding conflict isn't peacemaking. Avoiding conflict means running away from the mess, while peacemaking means running into the middle of it. Peacemaking means addressing those issues that cause conflict in the first place. Peacemaking can never be separated from doing justice. They go hand in hand. Peacemaking means having to stir the waters on the way to peace. Peacemaking means speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth nonetheless. And so an encouragement today, just principles. Your pastor gave me this topic, so, you know, I'm just being obedient. Confrontation, carefrontation, caring for a person enough to do that. Elijah was a man who cared enough about the things of God that he was willing to risk everything so that the necessary confrontation could take place and that God would be given the glory. If God calls us to confront, may we be willing to respond and may we be, do it in a way that will bring glory to God. May we be able to do that. But always remember, confrontation is about restoration, not destruction. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these wonderful men and women that came out in weather like today. But we pray that you would take these simple principles, this simple message, and guide us into your truth. And Lord, we, we are faced with these things each and every day. So help us to study these scriptures and live by these scriptures. Bless these men and women, Lord. They're so very precious. May they be encouraged in you in a special way today. May they have a fire for your word. May they go deep in prayer. May you bless them and their families in special ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for allowing me to be here. God bless you guys. Thank you so much, Bill, for sharing your message this morning. Can we just thank him? It was wonderful to have you all with us this weekend. And it is wonderful having you all here as well. If you came prepared with your tithes and offering, you can put those in the tithes and offering boxes outside of the chapel doors. And we look forward to seeing you next weekend when Chad kicks off our new series on Joseph. Have a great day.